The Ten Plagues of Egypt are known worldwide, discounted by some as a biblical fairy tale and explained away by secular scientists. Can the plagues be attributed to purely natural events? Stay tuned. Egypt had a thick darkness, indicative of their lifestyle of worshiping these other deities. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. As slaves in the land of Egypt, God's people were under great bondage. Scripture tells us that God heard their groaning and he sent a deliverer. But Pharaoh refused to bow to God's authority. So God sent ten devastating plagues upon Egypt until Pharaoh listened and freed the children of Israel. Through the years, secular scientists have tried to explain these miracles as naturalistic occurrences. Have they succeeded? Come with us for the next 15 minutes as we look at the miraculous plagues of Egypt. We'll also discuss the importance of that first Passover for both Jews and Christians. Dr. David Fouts, professor of Hebrew and Old Testament at Bryan College, points out, from the first plague to the last, God was showing himself mighty and demonstrating his dominion. The plagues on Egypt that God brought forth were to demonstrate his ultimate sovereignty over the Egyptians and over the Israelites and to teach both groups, really, that uh, he alone is sovereign and he alone is all-powerful and he alone is God. In his wisdom, God sent plagues that also revealed his supremacy over the false gods of the Egyptians. The Egyptians themselves within their pantheon, worshipped uh, much about the Nile. In fact, the Nile was considered a god, really. For instance, Isis was the goddess of the Nile, and, and Hopi, or Apis, the god of the Nile. And so the Nile was life for the Egyptians, and their entire pantheon was centered in great part along the Nile and with reference to the Nile. And so when we had the Nile turn to blood, or the great number of frogs coming up out of the Nile, that was showing as a polemic, as an argument against those other gods, as an argument against their existence, that the God of Israel was the true God of not only Israel, but also the Egyptians, and he was the one totally in control. And the other plagues had significance as well. The plague of darkness has a wonderful spiritual lesson for us because darkness is used oftentimes in Scripture referring to a spiritual darkness or a group of people that don't have the light of truth uh, with them. We see it in Isaiah. As a matter of fact, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and that light, of course, ultimately is Emmanuel, or God with us. So darkness can be a time of difficulty or a reflection of judgment, or some of those terms could be equated with darkness in the Old Testament. So the fact that Egypt had a thick darkness, one that is almost palpable that you could feel, was simply indicative of their lifestyle of worshiping these other deities, which don't really exist. Deceptive for them, they were instruments, I'm sure, of Satan to lead them the wrong path. But the ten plagues didn't just communicate a spiritual lesson; they brought much physical suffering with them. And while some secularists claim the plagues were just natural occurrences and not the hand of God. Biologist Dr. Jerry Bergman, researcher at Medical College of Ohio, says the Egyptians knew better. There was a specific reason that he caused these plagues to occur. And the reason, of course, was to convince the Egyptians, primarily Pharaoh, that indeed God did have his hand in the events and that Pharaoh should respond to God according to the miracles that did occur. This would convince him that he indeed should respond to God's commands. And if 
the pharaoh would have seen that these were natural events which just happened to occur, he obviously would see no need to respond to God's command that the Egyptians let the uh, Israelites go. Even with the overwhelming evidence of the unnatural manner of these plagues, secular scientists still try to find logical explanations for the phenomena. ICR biologist Frank Sherwin. Secularists and liberal theologians have vainly tried to put a naturalistic spin on the miraculous events that occurred in Egypt during the time of slavery. They've essentially said that miracles are unscientific and there must be purely naturalistic scientific explanations. The scripture shows, however, that to explain biblical miracles is a futile effort. (laughs) This is why they're called miracles. They are supernatural events that fall outside scientific laws. So if evolutionary scientists don't believe the Bible in the first place, why do they even bother trying to explain away the ten plagues? Well, virtually no real evolutionist believes the Bible. To do so would undermine their own worldview of just molecules in motion and nothing more. Many are militant in their secular faith, and they feel that discrediting the Bible is of paramount importance. The first step of the unbeliever usually is to ask, did God really say that? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. In other words, did God really speak through the prophets of old? And is his word really settled forever in heaven? And did all those miracles really happen? Or is there another down-to-earth explanation? The first of many places to start is with the ten plagues of Egypt. Although conventional scientists try to explain away the plagues of Egypt, their explanations just don't hold water. For example, some skeptics claim that the Nile River really didn't turn to blood, as the book of Exodus very clearly states. They say that rather than it being blood, it was the discoloration of the water from leaching of the earth in higher altitudes that finally made its way down to the Nile River. Other skeptics say it was an algal bloom, a bloom of these what we call in biology dinoflagellates, that explosively reproduce to choke out all other life within the Nile River. But this is a problem in itself, because if all the life in the Nile River died, how do they go on to explain the explosive production of frogs occurring very soon after? Dr. Bergman. Well, the water to blood, that's often explained as not actually being blood, but actually being an algae, which grew very rapidly at this certain time period. And, of course, if we take the scriptural words, which is blood, we have to understood that indeed this is literally blood that we understand as a compound which circulates in the body of humans and many animals. So scriptures say blood, so I think we have to understand it's blood and it wasn't any red algae or any other possibility. But biologically speaking, couldn't some of these plagues have occurred naturally? Many people try to explain the plagues. To me, they try to explain them away by endeavoring to come up with, quote, natural explanations for how they occurred. But one thing that's important when we consider the plagues is the timing. Many natural events occur which will fit into the plagues, but on the other hand, many of these natural events do not occur in the systematic, orderly way that we see them occur in the plagues described, of course, in the book of Exodus, the so-called ten plagues. Frank Sherwin. Some selected areas of some of the plagues can, to a very limited extent, be explained. For example, we know of the sudden explosive production of flies or lice due to environmental conditions that do occur on occasion. But what's miraculous is the timing of these biological and non-biological events, and that some of the plagues affected just the Egyptians, bypassing God's chosen people. It was the Egyptians' cattle that dropped dead, but not the Israelites' livestock. 
The darkness was so intense to the Egyptians that it could be felt, but not so with God's people. Besides the distinct timing of the plagues, we find that each plague brought pestilence in great amounts. For instance, listen to what Exodus 8 verses 3 and 4 says about the plague of frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house, and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thine ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. Dr. Fount says this was a new thing for the Egyptians. They were familiar with frogs and gnats and flies, and obviously with death of livestock and hell and locusts. They were used to those things, but not in the abundance that they were coming with at this point, and not with the supernatural aspect of having the Israelites in the land of Goshen protected. For instance, the cattle of Israel was spared where the cattle of the Egyptians died. Certainly, that has to be a supernatural protection. Uh, the hell, which came down and started little fires, apparently, that was something that would have been considered obviously supernatural, not something that would normally happen. After the first nine plagues were completed, Pharaoh still did not relent. So God sent the last and most terrible one. Exodus 11, verses 4 and 5 says, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. However, the death angel would pass over the Hebrews because of the blood of a sacrificed lamb. Dr. Fouts explains. The sacrifice was to be a young lamb, a blemishless lamb, taken it to the home for a period of three or four days. And, of course, when you bring a little pet to the home, everybody loves the pet and, and enjoys the pet. And then, uh, you know, maybe even name the pet Fluffy. And uh, then after that period of time, the father is required to take that little lamb that's loved by everyone and to sacrifice that lamb, to apparently slit its throat so that the blood drains out. And they're to use that lamb for the meal that was to be celebrated. Of course, the blood was taken and placed on the lentils of the doors and on the doorpost. And by that covering, then that house was passed over by the death angel. And so the blood of the lamb provided the means of the atonement that was taking place or the redemption of God's people. And so that little lamb, which was loved by all the family, was taken and sacrificed in order to provide a means of deliverance for God's people. To the Christian, this scene sounds strikingly familiar. Indeed, it is a reminder of the great deliverance from sin that God provided through the Lord Jesus Christ as He became our Passover Lamb. The Passover event was an amazing demonstration of God and His ultimate plan to bring about redemption through the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, i.e. our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful picture of what God did in the lamb sacrifice before the foundation of the world. He, he took that blameless young man, our Lord Jesus, who lived a life that was perfect. And was loved by his family, no doubt, loved by many, and lived among us as part of us. And uh, he took him and he offered him as a sacrifice for our sins and so that we can be covered, metaphorically covered, by his blood. And anyone who accepts the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the atonement of their sins will have God's wrath pass over them, 
just as the death angel passed over the children of Israel. So how does this happen? Dr. Faust explains. The way that we today can be covered by the blood is, obviously this is spiritual talk that we're talking today. This is, this is truth that we don't literally take blood and cover ourselves with it. God does not literally take the blood of Christ and cover us with us, but in the eternal, gracious plan of God, He has designed it that when we come to His provision in Christ, that He provided Christ to die on the cross as a substitute for our sins, and that perfect sacrifice in shedding His blood, that blood becomes efficacious for us. And as we trust in God's provision to forgive our sins through the blood of Christ, then we are covered by His blood, we are atoned for by His blood, and God is satisfied with His blood once for all, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, is what Christ did. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.